Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is where we speak to scintillating, fascinating and intriguing comedians from across the globe that have unique and fascinating stories like Harry Potter. Now, today's guest is an absolutely wondrous and fantastic comedian all the way from Malaysia. He said to me, I'm going to walk all the way from Malaysia to London to be on a podcast. He said that is the prerequisite to being on. He's, he is very famous in Malaysia. His name is like Kevin, but his name is Kevin. And his last name is Jay, which is like a rapper. So his name is Kevin Jay. He's, world, he's famous in Malaysia. He's an absolutely brilliant comic. And he has some brilliant bits on where I'm from in China called Hainanese Chicken Rice in Malaysia and Singapore. <laughs> He is a, an amazing comedian who you're going to love. Please welcome Kevin J. Hey, I don't know about famous though. Uh, I'm, I'm like a C-class celebrity at best, I think, in Malaysia. I don't know. But, but you're in a sort of situation where if you're in a bar or something, or if you're in a coffee shop, you'll get people looking over, who is he? It, he I remember him. And then somebody will be like, oh, can I get your autograph? Hello, Kevin. It, well, nobody asks for autographs anymore. It's more like pictures. And I, every time I go to a bar now, I get free drinks, right? Uh, mostly by men. It's, it's, it's just, I walk <laughs> in and everybody's like, we love your show. We love your show on Netflix and here's a drink. And I'm like, yeah, all right. But yeah, mostly for men, just, just men. Is, is, it, is it, I mean, one thing that's quite funny, like we have footballers called Paul Gascone and George Best. And that's how right. they started their alcohol addiction. Is there something? <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, I don't drink. Uh, that, like, I, I, I don't. I, I don't drink. So whenever I receive a drink from someone, I just basically put it on the table, and it just ne never gets drunk. Just that's that's it. Yeah. So just say the solution. That say you're teetotal. <laughs> I, 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 okay, I wouldn't say I'm teetotal. I don't drink. I, I'll have a I'll have one drink if I'm it's an Asian culture thing, right? Where if someone offers you a drink, it's very rude to not drink it. Now, the thing is, uh I'll have a sip and I'll set it down. Like I I, I have limits, like I, I I'll have one drink and then that's it. Like if if it's gonna be a night of people offering me drinks, I'll take a sip and I'll set it down. I'll take another sip, I'll set it down, right? So every time I get a drink, I take a sip. Uh, but uh, if it's just going to be one drink, I don't mind having one gin and tonic. That's like, that's it. Yeah, fair enough. Just like to, to, to relax before the stage. Like it's very difficult to explain to people though. Not, not, not even before, I, like I, I don't even drink before I go on stage. It's just one of those things where it's very hard to, to describe to especially Asians uh, that if you don't drink, uh, it, it, they just don't understand it. They don't understand the concept of you don't drink, like you don't have alcohol. Like I, I've been to so many places where they just come up to you and just offer you a drink and you're like, no, I don't drink. And then they look at you like, but it's beer. I'm like, yeah, that's the whole point. I don't drink alcohol. And they're like, but I'm offering you a drink. It's free. I'm like, no, I don't. 
and then I just it's it it gets to a point where it's so difficult to ex- explain that I just accept the drink, take a sip, and then I move on. Right? That's that's it's it's an Asian culture thing. I don't understand. Like if if it was in the UK or if I was in the US, like if someone offered me a drink and I say I don't drink, they'd be like apologetic about it. They'd be like, I'm oh sorry. Like you know that clearly there was a problem before and it's not now. It's not though. It's just that I don't like the taste of alcohol. And uh, in Asia, it's just like it, it's it's such a sign of disrespect if you if you don't take someone someone's offer to a drink. Would you ever try and wind them up or something? And say, listen here, I've just come from rehab. Please, no. No, no, they won't. They, nobody will understand this, right? You can tell them you just came from. You can tell them you were just resurrected <laughs> from death. They wouldn't give a shit. They would just go like, well. Since you're since you're off rehab, then maybe it's time to celebrate with a drink. Like you, they don't understand it. It's oh it's not a it's it's not an Asian culture thing to be in rehab. Like alcoholism is not a it's not a big problem in Asia. It is a big problem. It's just not a very big talked about problem. Okay, so is it more the squeak problem? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you only had too much alcohol if you die. <laughs> like when if you're dead of alcohol poisoning, that's when they were like, "Yeah, he should have stopped." <laughs> that is quite something. <laughs> <laughs> and now, now you have like a you've like you've got a you've each comic has a story on their life, right. and there's always something that pushes us towards doing comedy. Because there's right. not many people that want to choose. Well, there are a lot of comedians, but in terms of the global population and like statistically, there's not many people that want to do comedy as a whole. And what was it that made you decide to do comedy? And what was the Spider-Man experience where you got bit by the spider that pushed you to do stand-up? Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've never, I never wanted to do comedy. There was, it never crossed my mind. Uh, in fact. I was uh, I was in Newcastle for five years of my life, and there, there's a very famous uh, comedy club called the Hyena in Newcastle. And I used to and I used to go out to the Hyena a lot and to watch comedy. Like it, it, it was something that interests me as an audience, not as a performer. Like I didn't want to be the guy who was performing. I just wanted to you know get a ticket and and watch the show. But when I came back to Malaysia, I realized that comedy wasn't a thing. Like it wasn't. It, it there was there was two stand-up comedians, like two. That's it. Like there was, uh, you know. So every time I wanted to wait, uh, I wanted to go to a show. I had to wait for them to make a show before I could go to one. Like you know, and you know how comedians are. They'll do a show once every four months if you're lucky. And you know, I had to wait four months for a show. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that. Uh, you know, I had to wait for someone to do it. And uh, you know, the thing is, like, I, I I was an engineer then, and I never wanted to work for the corporate life. Like, I didn't. I didn't like the corporate life. I didn't like the fact that I had to get up at nine o'clock in the morning for someone else. And uh, I I hated that. So I always I, I was always thinking of a of a way to get out of it, right? To have the easiest job in the world. And I thought that you know being in the arts would be something that i might be able to pursue because i got to work on my own time right i got to do whatever i got to do 
but the thing is it, it wasn't that easy because i i couldn't sing i couldn't dance so that was all out uh then you know i remember like comedy could be a thing but then you know there there's, there's nowhere for me to start in malaysia like this was 16 years ago in 2006 and there was just no avenue there's, there's no there's no such thing as an open mic right there was no such thing as as a place where i could just rock up and do a show like there was nothing i could do so uh another thing that 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 kind of pushed me into my first show was the fact that i uh, uh i was a compulsive liar to women because to be more interesting on uh, of to the women that i meet uh to date i i used to tell them that i instead of just telling them the boring thing that i i worked as an engineer i used to tell them like oh i i i'm a stand up comedian and they would believe it and they were like when's your next show i'll be like yeah not anytime soon and then it came to a point where i think i had to do a show just to just to make the lie true and yeah so one day i just decided uh you know and, and my my brother as well my late brother who basically uh kept pushing me towards like you know hey you should do this uh it could be something that you could do and i always thought to myself like Uh, you know there's always tomorrow I'll do, I'll do I'll do it some other time like I I'm busy now I I won't do it and then he passed away uh, at the ripe old age of 29 and then I thought to myself like life's too short right uh I I've got to I've got to I've got to I, I get up and do something if I wanted to do it do it and uh it was it was kind of like a bucket list thing where I just got 150 of my friends put them in a pub and uh attempted to tell them jokes and i failed miserably this and was in 2006 august 24th but it's always bloody hard but it's always i feel like if i run a gig or if i'm performing mm-hmm. in front of the family or people i know it's gargantuanly right. much harder than if you're doing a gig in a random place with someone else i i know that now like i didn't know that then like that the, at that time it was just I I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. I I wasn't even doing stand up comedy. I thought because I had watched uh videos of uh, Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock and uh and Richard Pryor uh before doing stand up and I thought to myself the only way you can be funny as a stand up was to swear as much as possible. <laughs> right? And that 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 was my that was my plan. Right? That was it. Like that was the plan. Like swear and that's what i did i swore a lot and people did not appreciate it because there was no jokes in it like i was just swearing for the sake of swearing it was just me shouting at people and swearing at them there was it was it was just that that was it like that was what i was doing and, and in hindsight looking back now i'm thinking to myself like what the hell was i doing like you know i'm 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 surprised most of them are still friends with me and yeah in in fact like while i was doing my show i could like i could hear them laugh but because out it, it was out of pity right it was out of like oh my god look at him he's he's doing stand up nobody's laughing just 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 chuckle just give them a chuckle and that was what they were doing and in the corner of my ear i could hear my friends go what the fuck is he doing like why is he up there right now like what is going on like it was so surreal like i i remember this and uh i I believe none of the 150 people in that comedy show 
ever came back for the next five or six years to watch me again. <laughs> and thank God for that. Like, you know, it was that bad. And what did you say? <laughs> I was like, yeah, thanks. And so, so, I mean, you mentioned things that are quite interesting there because I know that what's it called? A Rizal said that because comedy is not as sort of big or established in the Malaysia, they give yeah. it a much harder sort of try. Like people judge it. They're not like, oh, if you're a musician, maybe I don't like that kind of genre. And I like someone else. They they see that comedy is crap if they don't like you. And so, I mean, with the Malaysian scene as a whole, did... I mean, I hear a lot about Jonathan Atherton. He changed a lot of the South Asia comedy scene. And I heard that now it's quite a big scene in Malaysia. Like there's open mics, there's, you've got the crack house and you've got another one with... Uh, the joke factory. Yeah. Yeah. No, the thing is, I mean, it's all right. I mean, you know, because... I mean, this was many, many years ago, right? 16 years ago when I started. In fact... Uh, I think Rizal started uh, six years after I did. So uh, when I started, comedy was not something that was mainstream. It, would, it, it was something that, you know, it was in the arts. Like, you know, it was you, you go to a theater and you bougie about it and, you know, that, that kind of stuff, right? And it was expensive as well. So, you know, a lot of working class people didn't, didn't really enjoy comedy because, you know, it was, it was not something to do. Uh, I remember uh, that there was no open mics. There was nothing. Like what we used to do was we used to we used to just walk into pubs and just uh, you know have a word with the owner and just went, I just go like, can we just do a couple of jokes on your stage? Like, and we used to perform to people who were there since five o'clock. Like they clock out of work and they're straight in the bar. And they, they, look, they've had so many happy hour drinks that they are not, like, they have not seen their family for the past six years. Like, they, that's where they live. Like, you know, and, and they, they, they're probably, you know, drunk as well. So they think they're funnier than you, right? And you, you just basically had to suck it up and try to tell them jokes. And I think a lot of, a, a lot of what happened evolved me as a comedian now in so many ways that doing that make made me grow as a comedian in the sense that now when i have a difficult audience i i kind of i i don't panic i know what to do i know how to handle the situation because i've, I've been there before i've been there you know be, being with the worst audience uh speaking about jonathan atherton when he came to singapore uh many many years ago he you know he kind of he 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 changed the perception yes but what he did was he brought comedy to the working class right he bought he brought comedy to the working class it was cheap it was uh, you know international comedy which he used to fly his friends down at minimal cost uh you know some great comedians as well he used to fly them down to singapore to do shows and then when you know when we saw it in malaysia we wanted to have it here as well and then uh you know the comedy club kl came about and they you know, kind of did a partnership thing where they could fly to Singapore and then do Malaysia as well, which is a much more bet. Uh, it's a much more interesting package for the comedian. Like if you if you're gonna fly from the UK to Singapore at minimal cost, like you know, coach and uh, the cheapest flights, 
you're not going to do it just for Singapore. You're going to have, you, I mean, it would be more interesting if I can do Singapore. Now I can do Kuala Lumpur as well. Then I can do Bangkok as well. Then I can do, uh-huh. uh, uh, you know, Vietnam and it was Phnom Penh and Cambodia. So there were so many places that were, you know, that were, that were uh, rising up because, you know, now I could do all these places. So even though it's at minimal cost, I don't care. It's, it's an adventure. It, it's, it's, you know, I, I get it take it off my list like I've been to these places to do comedy and and more and more people started coming down and that was the catalyst on how we as comedians grew because now we get it we get to see firsthand like professional comics do comedy and we get to you know we get to sit with them we got to talk to them and you know kind of pick their brains a little bit on how what did we what are we doing wrong like you know if there was a joke that didn't work we would, you know, they would, they would be really supportive and they would, you know, you know, that joke that you just did that, you know, didn't work out. This is what you do. You change it around. You do, you do something different. And when we do it again, it worked because, you know, these guys know what they're doing and they, they and they were very happy to teach this process to, to us as well. And because of that, we grew as comics, we grew even more. And, uh, you know, we've come to a point now that uh, we know what we're doing. Like we don't, we're not those the, those young comics who basically you know just doing open mics we, we're doing theater shows now and, and and we're doing well for ourselves i guess and put, you're close to being on par with the ones that have come over here now well, i don't know about being on par but you know it, you can do it yeah yeah i can do what they do i can uh up to a point yeah i mean like the the the, the, the surprising thing is that you know every time you think you've come to a level and then you watch another comedian and you think, shit, there's another fucking level. Like, you know, the, the comics like like Paul Ogata and, uh, you know, Butch Bradley. These are uh, the American comics who basically, when we thought that we've we've re- reached our peak, right? And we, we think like, yeah, we're the, best shit. We, we're the shit. We're like, we're the best that we can be. And then these guys come along and they're so good. And you think to yourself like, shit. There's another level I can go to, like you know how now I want to be at that level, right? And and so forth and so forth. There's always going to be someone who who kind of you know uh, takes you down a few pegs and think and you think to yourself like, wow, that's that's another level I want to get to as well. Hmm. And what's what's been like? What's been the biggest so you, moment that you've had in comedy where with a comic that's been abroad that really inspires you? That's been like wow how did they do that and what's been a situation where they've recovered us recovered a dead situation and turned it into a flower this is just uh john john many times uh, i've seen john take a dead audience and just bring them back to life just out of sheer you know effort like it was it was one of those shows where i remember uh in 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 the crack house which John uh, co-founded as well. It was uh, it was a dead show. Like the audience was not having it. None of the comedians were doing well. And then John just goes up and he just brings the crowd to life, like out of nothing. Just you know, just just working the crowd, like doing crowd work and and getting to know them and bringing himself down to their level, right? And and I mean, I realize this now, like what he was doing. Like at that time, I was just thinking to myself, like how did he do this and 
you know and then i realized like you know the only way you can you can relate to an audience if you bring yourself to the level of the audience if the audience is drunk go get drunk like you know drunks have a great time together right if they're sober be sober like you know that's if, if they're smoking weed go and smoke weed like you know stoners get along like that's how i'm i'm not saying that's what you need to do but i'm just saying like that's how you know someone can relate to you physically uh and then mentally as well like you know when when someone uh when someone when a group is smoking weed and you you don't smoke weed and you just walk into that group you're not going you you're not going to be invited in right it's it's one of those things where if, if a group is drinking alcohol and you walk in there and you're like completely sober you're not going to be welcome in they don't they can't relate to you so you're not going to be welcome into the group and if you bring yourself to their level and you go have a drink with them buy them around like you know and then suddenly they're your friends like they they're your buddies and 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 you they relate to you you relate to them and you have a good time together and that's that that's a lot about what comedy is and and you know it's one of those things i remember one of the that, that was one john story and then uh paul ogata once uh, he he came down to malaysia i think it was his second time and uh you know when the first time he came down we watched him and we thought wow this guy is great like i mean this is one of the best comedians that i've seen live and you know he does really well and then you know he comes down uh, a, a few months after that and we thought like you know it's we know what we, we know what he's about but at this gig he was at a gig uh, in a in a in a fancy restaurant right it was it was one of those fancy right like it was really posh like the, the i couldn't afford the food there and the people who were there was so rich like they didn't care they 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 they, they didn't <laughs> clap they didn't laugh they didn't care uh about what was going on they had the money to spare so it didn't <coughs> the tickets really didn't bother them and there was a michael jackson impersonator as well which was weird but you know it, it everything was against that that show and i remember i was hosting that show and i was dying i was struggling right and then the opening act struggled as well uh, and paul ogara just walked in and just blew the roof of that show it it was amazing it was amazing to watch like that was one of those things. how do you how do you relate to a bunch of rich people when you're not rich like you can't just go out and get rich like you can go out and get drunk but you can't go out and get rich right you know it, it, he just he, he did like he he made that crowd work like he he i don't know how he did it till today i can't tell you but that's one of those things where you 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 think to yourself like wow like that's that's comedy hmm. yeah it does sometimes get me sometimes where people sometimes when they do a gig that's not as they planned or what they like and they've mm. given up before the gigs even started they say oh yeah. this is going to be a bad gig oh this is going to be this this is going to be that so oh, yeah it happens all the time i think one of my, one of my first shows was uh one of my shows outside of malaysia first ones was in india right and uh i remember it was early on in my career as well i didn't have a lot of jokes that could travel I, well at least i thought that i didn't have a lot of jokes that could travel because i thought i i kept thinking to myself like my experiences uh in malaysia would be very different from someone who grew up in india although you know we're both indian 
genetically but you know it, it, it's one of those things where you know your experience in india would be different because why would it be the same right it's a different country it's it's completely different and uh, i was struggling because i uh, i kind of had to write new stuff like you know that what i thought would travel to india and uh, i i struggled i struggled for so long until uh, i watched harith iskanda who was traveling with me to india uh to do it, it was a festival that we were doing and he was doing a separate show and i was opening for another guy and i i went to watch his show and he was just doing the stuff that he did back in malaysia like no difference like there was some context that he gave before the jokes but that's it and then he does he does the joke like he would in malaysia and everybody was lapping it up like everybody was laughing and i was and i was thinking to myself like why was i so you know why was i overthinking this why was i thinking that you know people in india would be different from people in malaysia because people all over the world is the same thing like the, there's no differences in experiences there might be slight differences but at the end of the day everybody can relate to every, anything as long as you give them context of what is happening if you, if you unless you're getting way too deep and you're getting way too inside baseball and you're getting to really deep stereotypes then yeah then maybe you have to change your material a little bit but apart from that the stereotypes work anywhere like that that's that's the that's the crux of it like you know like all i have to i have to explain the stereotypes and then i can do the stereotype jokes like it, it was easy for me to like work and i and after i realized that immediately everything just it, it was easy like the next couple of shows i did well because i knew that all i had to do was do context and i could do my jokes again so it's like they keep bringing them into your world in a way oh yeah yeah and and uh, you know the the one thing that i learned from there was that audience would take anything on face value if you tell them a box is square they just take it at face value and then you make jokes about the square and they would just lap it up this is just like yeah we get it now yeah it's it's funny how it's funny how many lies are used in comedy <laughs> Oh yeah, this is just yeah, yeah. You you have to lie to simplify things. Yes, that's definitely true. <laughs> um now so you've been to India and you've been to the one of the things that I've found that's quite interesting in comedy, there's a guy called Victor Petraskin and he's traveling all across Europe and all across different parts of the world into lang- places where you think, "Oh, they don't do English speaking comedy, but they, there's a massive scene there." Like he's getting oh, yeah. out our shows and it's amazing how widespread English comedy is. Oh yeah, I mean I've done shows in Beijing where I thought nobody's going to understand me because everybody speaks Mandarin. No, it would be sold out a 300 seater theater for me. Like you know, it was it was a great show. Like everybody spoke English. It was fine. I I've been to uh I've been to Finland where there's a there's a thriving English stand up comedy show. uh seen uh, i've been to portugal where there is a st- uh, english stand up comedy scene i've been to uh latvia which has a english stand up comedy scene estonia as well uh russia uh in moscow uh japan has a english stand up comedy uh scene as well it's a smaller one albeit because the japanese obviously the the local comedy scene is much bigger like even in malaysia the local comedy scene is bigger than you know the english stand up scene the english stand up scene is mostly in urban cities where people tend to speak more english than 
than the local language. Hmm. I heard that in Malaysia, if you want to get on TV, you got to speak Malay. Is that right? Yeah, kinda. It, it's it's one of those it, it's one of those things. But I think it's it's starting to open up a little bit because, I mean, you, you gotta. I guess with TV is that you gotta cater to the majority, and the majority of the people uh, are not in urban cities. A majority of them are, uh, you know, in rural areas who speak, who don't speak English, right? Uh, they speak Malay. That's what they do, and you kind of have to. Yeah, you you. I mean, if you want to get on TV, because Malaysia media is run by old people who basically don't have new ideas. So basically, they just use the same old things, the same old formula that basically means that we just do shows in Malay. That's 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 all we're gonna do, and that's all we're gonna we're gonna put on TV, and that's that's the only thing you're gonna you're gonna learn to love. So yeah. So in Malaysia, it's it's hard if you speak English, but it's slowly opening up. We we are getting some, uh, you know, uh, airtime as well. Not in comedy, but you know, at least we get casted in a few things. We get to do TV shows and stuff like that. Well, at least you, so basically, you're saying that you should do sign language. Yes, or speak. You know, you could. You or you could just speak Malay. Like you know, you could. Okay, let's do yeah. this. Yes, you could. What am I saying? You could. You could. <laughs> the only problem is nobody understands sign language in Malaysia as well. So yeah, you might as well. Yeah, yeah. But then again, I heard the sign language. Like you know, it's yeah. Is how much different is Malay compared to English when you're doing a joke? So if you said, "Why did the chicken cross the road in English?" How would that differ in, Mal in Malay? <laughs> Okay, the, the 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 most difficult part about Malay is there's no sense of irony in Malay, right? Irony doesn't exist in the language, right? Okay. Sarcasm doesn't uh, doesn't exist in the language. It's a very it's a very literal language where uh, you know you say what you mean, and there's you know there's play on words, but the, sarcasm and irony doesn't really flow in the language. So it's kind of like German, right? Oh. German, yeah, like it, it's 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 very systematic. It's there's no gender. There's not. It's a very simple language to learn, but because it's such a simple language that irony and sarcasm just doesn't flow. Just doesn't. It, 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 and definitely, you can't translate uh, your jokes wholesale from Malay to English or English to Malay because it just loses something in translation and. Yeah, I mean, it, it's different in the sense that uh, in Malaysia, stand-up comedy has not really caught on yet as as a, as an art, right? So pretty much a lot of people are still stuck in the in the old Benny Hill kind of skit comedy, right? Uh, so yeah, so that's what they that's what a lot of the the mass media uh, you know feeds the audience anyway. And that's a, a, also a lot of what the audiences are exposed to. Uh, so at the end of the day, doing stand-up in Malay works, but it's 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 really hard to sell because people don't quite understand it. People don't quite understand the 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 hidden meanings of, of words and and how you could you could say one thing but mean another thing in in that language. Hmm. It's 
is Mala what what is with Malaysia as a whole? In London, yeah. there's probably about a couple of hundred comedians in there, and in the country, right. there's probably about maybe ten, ten, maybe four or five thousand, or maybe a bit more in the UK. Right. But in 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 New York, I felt like there's the amount of comedians. Thousand. Yeah, there's there's so many, and America yeah. like that's double what you think in the UK. And there's, yeah. what would you say the number is in Malaysia? We've got probably fifteen professional comics. One five fifteen, who who make money from comedy? They're like they're full time comics and basically professional, right? And then you got maybe a hundred or two hundred, uh, you know, open micers or up and coming comedians who basically you know do the open mic scene, and you know hoping to make that step, which is which is kind of which is encouraging, although it's a very small scene, but it it is. Very encouraging. I think you could say the same about the Singapore comedy industry as well. It's very similar. Hmm. What? Which Which is better though? Ha 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 ha. Yeah, I can't say that. I can't say that. <laughs> no, no. I can answer answer honestly. The to be fair, Singapore slightly ahead. I would say than Malaysia, only because. Of the fact that uh, in Malaysia censorship is a big thing, it, I know it is in Singapore as well. But they understand satire, whereas in Malaysia they don't. It's it's weird. Like you know, you get in trouble for for the silliest things. Like you 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 can do a silly joke and someone could throw you in jail for it. Like in Singapore, there is technically there's not freedom of speech, but they understand what satire is. Hmm. Now, with What's as an outsider? I never. I always hear like there's a bit of things going on between Malaysia and Singapore. What, what's the rivalry there? Like this, this it seems to be like England and France. Oh yeah, England and France, India, Pakistan, America, and the rest of the world. It's 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 it, 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 every country has has like a you know a neighbor they don't like. And to be fair, Singapore, the 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 whole thing between Malaysia and Singapore is jealousy. Right, is it's hundred percent pure jealousy. Like Singapore has the money, but we have the happiness because we have good food, we have you know the natural resources, and uh, you know we we have that. It's the only thing that they have is money, right? So it's kind of like having that rich cousin who you don't really like because he's always flaunting his money. That's that's exactly what it's like to have Singapore as a neighbor, right? <laughs> But Singapore knows that you know the the cousin Malaysia, his mom cooks really good food, so they keep coming back to the house anyway. So you know it's it's kind of like a love hate relationship at the end of the day. I love Singapore, to be fair. I make fun of Singapore all the time in my stand up set, but you know I love performing in Singapore. I think Singaporeans are great uh, in understanding the the comedy, and you know language is not a barrier because everybody speaks English in Singapore, and. I like the fact that people understand what satire is, especially, you know, if you're doing a show, if you're doing a show, and you, you know, you you're just trying to say something that may be a little bit controversial. But in Singapore, it's like they understand it immediately. In Malaysia, I've got to have to give tons of context before they kind of get it. It's oh, okay. So it now. 
One thing that you pointed in there and I found quite interesting, in London, New York and LA, because they're so big, in some ways it helps the quality get better, but in some respects, if you're not getting those spots, it's much more likely that you'll stay in the place you are, unless you're lucky right. and you go out and make it. Whilst in Malaysia and Singapore, there's a chance you'll get more opportunities because there's less comics. And by right. playing different rooms and by playing bigger, different types of gigs, were you forced to do well? Do you get what I'm saying? I'm saying that yeah, if you're no, stuck no, in the same position for years and years, you're not going to get better. And there's, because of, you're more likely to do that in London, New York and LA, whilst I feel there's more chance of Singapore and Malaysia where you can play the difficult rooms and get better. Because if you're too comfortable, oh, yeah. pressure is a good thing. I'm saying pressure is a good thing. And I think how much does that make you better to have those opportunities where you're forced to get better rather than be in situations where there's lots of competition but very limited spots i think i think uh you know i was lucky because when i started out there was nothing right so basically if i didn't have talent i mean it's like in a like in america or the us i mean in the us or in the uk it's basically a sea of talent right and you're looking for that one to rise above and it's very difficult to find that one in the sea of talent that you have, right? It, when I was starting out, there was nothing. So if I had talent, it would immediately stick out like a sore thumb. Like you, you're looking for talent in like three people. You know, you know that, you know which one's going to be the talented one. You know, when, when you see them perform, you know, oh, this guy is funny, right? So immediately then you get you get thrown into situations where you, you get to perform for bigger and bigger stages and you kind of build yourself up. In the the we, we in Malaysia we're coming to that to the point as well where there's a bunch of open micers or you know up and coming comedians who basically stay there for years because again you're looking for that one talent in that sea of hundreds that you're looking for any kind of sometimes you kind of get drowned or or dragged in by the current as well and you kind of you know settle on that mediocrity that that is that that group of people that you you consider to be your peers right and that uh, a lot of times that that's what happens like uh in in the u.s when i when i look at uh comedy shows i've, I've done a few open mics in the u.s and it, it's weird like how they all sound alike, like they all sound the same. Like uh, 10 comedians go up on, on an open mic, they all sound the same, like different jokes, but they all sound the same. Like everybody has the same style. Everybody everybody wants to do this and this. And they, er, er, because you got more people doing it, you kind of feel comfortable in that 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 little groove that you have and you, you kind of, you just you just stay there. Like you, you're not rising up. And if you notice the ones that that that, that do make it out, are the ones that are slight that are the ones that are different and they they have a different style like nobody nobody has kevin hart style like no. he, you know his 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 demeanor and stuff like that and it's weird like he's the one who made it true like the, when you look at the rest of the, the guys who were you know from his generation of comics and you look at the rest of them they all basically had the same style it's kevin hart that had a different style that kind of you know took it away and you know uh, uh worked out with it so it's it's the same thing that, that that's happening here as well because we it's a growing scene as well 
so you've got a hundred two hundred you know uh open micers who basically are comfortable in that scene and you got you know your colleagues or your peers as well so you you kind of like oh you know I'm, I'm i'm not better than him but i'm not worse than him so that's where they kind of be comfortable in then you you don't you don't move your way up like you know maybe you know you you might get a opening spot for the weekend if you did well and then you do that but that that's it like then you come back down like you you know like we didn't have the step down we only had the step up like you know what i mean like there was no step down if you step down you you're done you go home you you you're not coming back one thing that i do think that i don't know if this is true in malaysia but i do feel that as comedians as a whole we're not as um proactive as like musicians or um other art forms as a whole like in terms of oh i'm not getting a spot here oh i couldn't like there was you know you make your own gigs or if if this if this doesn't happen go and make take things into your hands and i hear that with a lot of musicians and other artists they go out there and try and make things happen like they get business yeah, cards I mean, out look, in in comedy we, i don't we, see a lot of that we did that though i mean me and rizal we started our first weekly open mic we started our own gig and it's not because we, we were not getting gigs anywhere we just thought we wanted to grow the scene and we wanted more comics to come along and yeah. and 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 you know it, you can't be successful in an industry if you don't have an industry right so you you gotta have what we did was we tried to create an industry and that's what we did and uh when we did that we created our own show there's a lot of comics who basically do start doing their own shows and and you know create their own stage so that they can get on stage and blah blah, blah. but at the end of the day you know i it's it's very difficult when you have to compete with actual quality of since we have two comedy clubs in malaysia now the joke factory and the comedy club you know that if you paid money and you went to the comedy clubs you know you're going to get a good show right you know some of the best talents perform there some of the you know the, you you go to a show you know it's curated because you know they clearly the the club owners you know have put some thought into the fact that they curated this show so therefore there is a chance or a very big chance that this show would be good whereas if i did, if if some some of the open micers got together and did a show you know the audiences would be small because i mean what am i really paying for here like am i paying for yeah. an experiment am i paying for uh you know just someone just to tell me jokes and i don't know if it's going to be funny or not so yeah so that's the disparity that they have so it's 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 very difficult to do your own show and be successful in it because you're not going to get the audiences that you want you're not going to get the people who you know you want to watch you do well because then you get the the spots in the weekend and then you know try to grow uh from there as well so yeah it, it's it's one of those things where it takes i mean comedy takes years to grow anyway it, it's not one of those things where you're instantly going to be a star uh kevin hart is known as a overnight sensation in a lot of places but he didn't tell you about the 10 years beforehand that he had to do a lot of work like russell peters as well 10 years before that nobody knew who he was but he was doing comedy and he was working the scene so that's how you know you you work the scene as well yeah i get it you get a lot of stage time but without the right guidance you you're not going anywhere anyway
Uh, but yeah, it's would you say it's a sort of a mix in both in terms of like you need the quality, but you also got to go out and then make things happen. Because I think pressure is always a good thing. Yes, I mean I look at it now and I think to myself like, oh, why why are they doing their own show? Like they can't handle they they can't handle you know doing open mic at the clubs, but they're gonna handle they're gonna host their own show. That's then I think to myself like that's exactly what I did. That's exactly what I did because I didn't have the clubs open mic. All I had was you know walk into a pub and say, hey, can I tell jokes? It's the self awareness that is the most important. Uh, in this situation is the self-awareness of what you have done right and what you have done wrong and how you better yourself to to do the things that you did right again and not to do the things that you did wrong or do it differently so that it becomes right and it's it, that self-awareness that that a lot of people lack so yeah and if, if there was a karaoke song that summed up the journey in comedy. What would it be? <laughs> I will survive. I think. I think that's the. I think that's the one. Uh, it has to be. Like, I survived a lot of things. Like, can you imagine doing stand-up comedy to a bunch of drunks? In I would have quit comedy so long. I don't know why I didn't quit. Like looking back, like how did I not quit? This, this, this it's it's amazing how I'm still doing comedy. Like. If if I had to go through it again, I'll probably quit. I'll probably just go back to work. Like, I'll probably be an engineer or something. Because you you you'd have to think back on it all rather than just not be surprised by it and just do it. Yeah, I know, but it's it's one of those things where I don't know why I stuck with it. I really don't. Like, it wasn't it wasn't something I really wanted to do as well. It is now. Don't get me wrong. It's, at that time, it was just something like, oh, it's a way to get the chicks. But yeah, you know how you know how many chicks I got from comedy? Zero, right? <laughs> nothing. You didn't get any offers on stage, like when you're saying nope, a good joke, like any bars thrown at you? Nope. Or... nope, not at all. Because I look like this. Oh, okay. I mean, that happens quite a lot with a few comics. I mean, uh, even I myself have taken advantage of a few situations. Nope. nope, I have nothing. I have not even been proposition once well come to the uk and the us and i think that will happen on stage <laughs> uh, yeah i know that's what i well i was supposed to be in the uk on uh in 2020 I was, I was supposed to do my tour uh in may 2020 and then pandemic hit and then i'm yeah i couldn't make it so yeah hopefully when the when it all ends I'm, I'm back <laughs> hopefully all right british people be ready <laughs> also also i am married so i don't know i might be a bit too late but yeah i mean look i'm i won't accept the offer but an offer would be nice is what i'm saying <laughs> you appreciate the thought i i appreciate the thought very very much now if if there was one um thing that you would say that if you're gonna two questions on here like what works better for comedy a glass half full or a glass half empty approach to, to life and comedy <laughs> i think uh I, for me uh it's always been a glass half full uh attitude where you you kind of, i i've always been the guy who 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 i've never set a goal in my life 
and I've always been happy with everything that I've achieved because I, I realized that if I set goals and I don't achieve them, I get really upset. So if I don't set a goal and achieve something, therefore I've achieved something that is bonus to what I planned for, right? So it's kind of like, uh, you know, oh, this is great. Like this happened and I didn't even plan for it. It wasn't even, it wasn't even in my goals. I just worked and I got it. Like that's, that's how I always work. So I think I, you know, I'm projecting, maybe that's how, you know, it, it works in comedy, I guess. Whatever works for you, isn't it? We'll whatever just... works for me, whatever floats my boat, man. Like, to be honest, I like a good, good fish and chips. You like a good Hainanese chicken rice. You know, we're yes. all different. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like, I like me some bakute, uh, which is which is basically a pork soup. It's a, it's a Chinese pork soup. Uh, it's uh, it's actually from the Hokkien uh, traders that came to Malaysia and they created this herbal pork soup and it's delicious. You only can get it in Malaysia. There's nowhere else in the world that sells this. Oh, nice, nice. And 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 the hook and soup. And what's another like Malaysian dish that, that people should try? That people should try? Uh well there's there's bakute, which is which is amazing. If you ever come to Malaysia, just like just just tell the taxi driver bakute and you know, it, the thing is, like, no, the one I would say <laughs> bakute is interesting because it's such a Malaysian dish that no matter who you ask, there's always going to be a different answer to where is the best bakute, right? Because no two people have the same place where they think that's the best, right? So if you if you go to one guy, he'll tell you like, okay, go to this place. This place is great. He, and then when you go there, someone else will tell you like, no, that is rubbish. Go to the other one. That's that's a lot better. So that's that's how it works in Malaysia. And they're all good, by the way. This is, don't listen to them. Uh, another Malaysian dish that you should really try is, uh, I guess it's uh, laksa. Every laksa. state has its own. Every state has its own. It's like curry rice noodles. And every state has a different one. Like in the north, in Penang, you have the sour tamarind uh, curry based fish uh, rice noodles and then in the south you have a little bit more uh, creamy curry with spaghetti no like it's, yeah it's weird uh, and then in, in in KL you have the curry meat which is basically curry and rice noodles uh, in Sarawak you get a different version as well in Kelantan you get a different every state in Malaysia has a has a version of laksa that you need to try Oh, and following on from that, two questions from that are like, what dish summarizes a, a comedian? <laughs> so you have a full English breakfast. What, like, the egg would describe the temperament of a comic, the sausage would describe the work ethic, and the tomato would describe the, the skill. What Malaysian dish sums up the, the parts of a comedian? <laughs> I think it's, uh, I think it's got to be, Nasi Lama, I guess. I guess because of the simplicity of everything. It's just, it's just the simplicity of all the sum of its parts that create together something that is quite complex. It's, it's, it's very simple stuff. It's fried anchovies, right? It's fried peanuts. It's coconut rice and a, and a sambal, right? Which is basically the simplest shit you can get. You put it together and 
voila, it's a complex tasting dish. Like, how did this happen? Like, whoa. I guess, yeah, that's that's that's, that's how it goes. And if you're gonna give an advice to new comics starting out in Malaysia now, what would it be? Get a job. <laughs> Don't do it. It's it's not worth it. Just get a job. Like you know, telemarketing, anything. Just McDonald's. They're hiring. Just go get it. No, I mean the thing is, look. The the point is the point I'm trying to make. It, it, it is true though. Get a job, which is uh, because you're not gonna make money for the first six seven years. You do comedy. Because you you basically learning how to do comedy, and a lot of people it, it's like it's like being in med school, right? Being in open mic nights is like being in med school. You are learning your trade, and if you do well and you graduate, you become a comedian. That's that, and you make money from it. Uh, but before that, get a job because that's the only way you can sustain yourself doing comedy. Hmm. Whether part time, whether you need it's McDonald's. McDonald's is the best place. It's, it's they're always hiring, and yeah, I mean whatever it is. If, look, if you if you qualify, be an engineer. Like I was an engineer. I've been doing comedy sixteen years. I've only been a uh, professional stand-up comedy for six years. Is it seven? Seven years. Wow. So yeah, most of the time I had a job. Like I I was an engineer and I did comedy at night. Thirty yeah. So it's a long yeah, slog. At some point, I had three jobs. I was an engineer, I was a radio DJ, and I was a comedian. Oh, did you do both at the same time? <laughs> All three at the same time. Yes, sometimes. Like I was, I was, I was doing. I, I remember I was doing a comedy show while I was live on radio on through through my phone, and I was doing calculations for. Uh, uh, for engineering design project that I was doing as well. So yeah, all three. All right. And if anyone wants to find out about you, like what's the, what was the engineering company you worked for? No, <laughs> I'd rather not say. <laughs> no, I, I used to work for Petronas, which is the biggest oil and gas company in Malaysia. Okay. So if you want oil done, go to Petronas and also. <laughs> I, I, yep. I, even if you don't, I don't think they need your business. They're doing quite well. And if you like to find find out about Kevin J, where do they find out about you? Well, my socials are at Kevin J, K A V I N J A Y. Uh, that's across all platforms, even LinkedIn and Tinder. Uh, but uh, YouTube as well. So uh, yeah, you can go watch my Netflix special. It's on Netflix. Just type in Kevin J, K A V I N J A Y, and you should see it. And uh, what else is there? Uh, you know, that's it. Right. Well, guys, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you like it, uh, share it with your friends. Uh, give us a five-star review on Amazon or iTunes. It will really help a lot. And also, you know, if you want to come to a show, just f- look up Instant Laughs. And um, most importantly, subscribe and join on this fantastic journey. It's been an absolute pleasure. Take care, guys. Thank you.